You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body IO FM with your host, Kiefer. Uh, today, we have Mark Gordon on the show, and I'm doing the intro a little bit different because once we got Mark on the phone, he just started talking. So I was smart enough to hit the record button. Uh, so we're just going to jump right into it. Again, uh, realize this show is self-sponsored. I, I don't, don't take donations. I definitely don't take advertisements from anybody. And the only outside sponsor that we have is High Lead Athletic Wear, uh, and that's for good reason. We don't want anybody to feel like our views are tainted by our sponsors, and we definitely don't want to be edited uh, in anything that we say uh, or, or worry about it for that matter. So I uh, hope you enjoy the show, and Dr. Rocky is luckily on this one. Uh, he's just not here for this post-recorded introduction to the show. So I hope everybody enjo- enjoys it. There's some amazing information in this show And if you are a medical practitioner, which I know a large percentage of our audience actually is, you want to listen to the show in its entirety. Uh, At the end, you'll learn how you can get access to Dr. Gordon's, um, all of his data, all of his research over the past years and his protocol that he's been using to almost have complete therapeutic response to traumatic brain injury and a whole host of other conditions uh, that are highly hormonally regulated that we ignore and we give inappropriate medications to deal with. Uh, And the the protocols are not complex. So please listen to the entire show, and I hope you enjoy. I was in uh, Chiang Mai in northern uh, Thailand, and the government had converted, helped them to convert from opium to uh, coffee. And it's like a Peabody coffee from from uh, Maui or from uh, Kona. It's hmm. a very small bean, but man, is it kick a strong, very wow. strong. That sounds good. So with the Kirin tribe up in the mountains, there's six tribes up there. So I went and visited them to see how you know healthy people live. Yeah, yeah. So it's incredible. So um, your practice is in uh, Gilbert, Arizona. Yep, Gilbert, Arizona, we're a suburb of Phoenix. So we're like 30 minutes away from Scottsdale, yeah. So um, I do a couple of things. So I'm fortunate I've had family medicine, cradle to grave for the last you know, 17 years. And yeah. then about three years ago, um, I connected with a nurse practitioner who's the only um, board-certified cardiovascular MP in the state and an RN who was the EMT coordinator to the local hospitals. And mm-hmm. we had a couple of firefighters go down with MIs. And so they were really concerned and, and the RN, well, her husband's a, a firefighter. So it really struck a personal court for her. And so they actually started a company called Heart Fit for Duty. So, okay. um, and they, we did, they did a pilot screen program through the local hospital. So they took 30 of these guys and they got advanced lipid testing. And, um, you know, they found that all these guys had elevated blood sugar and they're trying to find the missing piece here. And they are looking at the lipids and the lipids really didn't, you know, they didn't look that bad, right? So they, cu- they kind of called me in and said, what do you think of these labs? I'm like, oh, they're all insulin resistant. That's why they got, you know, issues. And so um, they didn't really have that metabolic component to their program quite yet. So uh, 
they have kind of pulled me in. And so we actually have now a clinic now for about two and a half years. Um, so on Wednesday, Thursday, and Fridays, we do risk assessment for first responders. So we do police, fire, military, EMS, and, mm -hmm. and then we also do cardiometabolic testing as well, um, both lab, and then we do cardiopulmonary exercise testing so we can get mm -hmm. PPO2 and see how their stroke volume is, if there's any dysfunction in their cardiac you know, parameters. So we can so really close. So you do the entire spectrum of uh, inflammatory markers for cardiovascular. Correct. Correct. Okay. So I've been doing Good. that. I've been doing that in my practice for like eight, not ten years now. So although uh, I'm not bored, they've had plaque tests now for seven years, FDA approved for seven years. So the phospholipid alpha lipoprotein C, yeah. which is the right, what cleaves the small density LDL. Yeah, it's it's good. I'm surprised. So, so many doctors have not been looking at the inflammatory markers and still right. believe in cholesterol. Right. You know? So I'm not actually board certified in lipidology, but I kind of like play one on TV. So Yeah, I, <laughs> I did uh, lipidology uh, lectures and had lipidologists from UCLA in my lecture who said I was right on in it. And that's yeah. from the amount of reading that I do on it. And it's, the information is out there. You know, yeah. what's his name? Mulder was right. You know, remember Mulder? Yeah, from, yeah, uh, from the X-Files. Yeah. Yeah. On the X Files, yeah. Everything that, that used is to out. be my license plate. Trust no one. That was my license. Trust plate. no. That's <laughs> especially in medicine, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, let's see the two thousand uh, two thousand men's Massachusetts study report showing about insulin resistance and um, low free testosterone, low free testosterone, and the increased occurrence in males greater than fifty. Two years later, in two thousand and two, another article came out showing that in women. The same thing happens. So if you find women with insulin resistance, also uh, from C. Everett Coop in 1997, I worked with him when I was working with Rexall Drugs, or I shouldn't say I worked with him, with his nurse, his number one nurse. They did a study and they found chromate deficiency in areas of high occurrence of insulin resistance from chromium deficiency. So we use a product which is called chromate or chromium polynicotinate, which has a side effect because it's a multi-niacin polynicotinate, it gets carried right into the cell, drops total cholesterol, raises HDL, but you have to look at H1, you have to look at the LP little a, you know, to make sure that you got right. the right stuff. But not very many people are looking at chromium yeah. and you can do the uh, royal blue tube to figure it out or to do it. Mm. In cardiovascular disease, uh, one of my key cases, we won 2.1 million on it, was a lawyer who came to me and said, um, is there any association with head trauma and a heart attack? And I said, yes. So they sent me a case of a guy who had been hit on the head by a 600-pound metal plate while he was fixing it's a draw gate for trucks. And it hit wow. him on the head, knocked him to the ground, not unconscious, 12 stitches, emergency room. The following morning, he wakes up like a crazy man. Hmm. He gets psychoneural treatment, medication, Three years, almost to the date of his injury, he has a massive heart attack, becomes diabetic, hypertensive, and um, has the heart attack. And um, I get called on it. Just so happens his doctor was one of my past students when I was starting to lecture on this relationship. So I ended up doing the case, sending him a 30-page report. The endocrinologist, an endocrinologist calls me and says, you got to treat the guy. And I said, who are you? He says, I'm the endocrinologist. Which side are you on? He says, from the other side. I said, you should be telling me I'm full of shit, you know, for what I said. So he said, no, <laughs> you're right on. So then I get a call from a cardiologist. This is in uh, 19, 
uh, no, this is in 2008, seven, 2007. And a cardiologist calls me and he's from Arkansas where the patient was from. He says, Dr. Gordon, with all due respect, I read your report and it's so full of shit. I can smell it from California. I said, thank you very much. No problems. So what happened was, um, the American, uh, that was in June, July. In October, November that same year, the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, under the tutelage of or the direction of Kevin Nguyen, who's a family doc who sits on the American College of Clinical Endocrinologists as one of their top guys, family doc. And they wrote this paper stating that if you have growth hormone deficiency, which this patient did, your nine risk factors for cardiovascular disease go straight up. I, wrote yeah, two pages, can, sent in the yeah. thing, settled the case. They gave him $2.1 million. Wow. Right. Heart <laughs> attack, heart attack and hormones. Yeah. Extremely important. Oh yeah. Both. You know, I made that correlation a long time ago as well with, with low testosterone and, you know, and basically insulin resistance, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, it is really a, a marker of insulin resistance and that mm -hmm. might be the only one or the first one that shows sometimes, you know, yeah. long before the sugar we're, becomes- We're animal. on the same page. Yeah. We're on the same page. I love that. What we've been doing has been screening all the docs that have been applying for the program to make sure there's a fit. Family docs, DOs, and uh, NDs, because I have a, one daughter that's ND and one that's an MD, and one that's the smartest in business, in jewelry design and manufacturing. So, um, you know, primary care. Yeah, key. definitely. Key, absolutely. So no cardiologists, no anesthesiologists, no plastic surgeons. <laughs> but anyway, that's the fun time. So yeah. What do you do for fun? Play soccer. And that's then I play fun. With my, that's fun, yeah. And then I am family, kids. I got a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. So, um, you know, they're very um, artistically and musically inclined which I, that, they didn't get that gene from me. So yeah. um, I enjoy that. I, I live vicariously through their uh, artistic I, qualities. I've got music four qualities. guitars here. <laughs> I've got four guitars here. On Friday, we have the, uh, the drummer from uh, John Fogarty and uh, Metallica and um, the guy who was on uh, with the, the tribute to the, to the Beatles. He was the drummer for it, Kenny Arnoff coming in, okay. and then a, a lead guitar player. So we're going to screw Very around. Very cool. Smoke some cigars and drink some scotch. <laughs> I'm not sure else. if I'm there with the cigar, but I definitely I'm there with the scotch. <laughs> well, Friday, 630. <laughs> the door's open. All right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so what are we going to do? Well, actually, I've been recording because I didn't want to miss anything good. I need uh, I need uh, drop uh, some gems, Mark. So in any of those things black, you mentioned that I need to cut out, just let me know. Uh, well, that's prelude to insanity or something. <laughs> but good. So um, your game. Oh, you know, I say we just keep talking. I'll record an intro later for this. <clears throat> I I had a feeling this okay. was going to happen. I had a feeling as soon <laughs> as soon as I brought you into the call, it was just going to be nonstop chatter. Well, I mean, I don't know why I, I would think that. Get embarrassed about that. <laughs> we were just, you know, schmoozing to get to know each other. <laughs> yeah, so, but in that schmoozing, you, I just, I knew some great stuff was going to come out. Yeah, uh, 
don't you know, know how I, great. And I've, I've also listened to some of your other podcasts that you've done more recently. And I, you know, just listening to you, I know we're kind of on the same page as well. So right. uh, I, I think uh, we're coming up from different angles to a certain degree, but it's still the same bucket, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, a lot of people don't, um, don't know that in my past, I had five major head injuries, uh, two with loss of consciousness, three of them uh, without. And in fact, uh, I had forgotten one of them when I was hit by a car riding my bicycle, you know, that retrograde amnesia or the prospective amnesia. And um, when I was uh, between 34 and 46, mm -hmm. I was having some difficulties, was put on uh, one of the antidepressants, SSRIs, was obese, losing my hair faster than I am now. And uh, just wasn't a happy camper. And I went to a company, Cenogenics, that you know, in Las Vegas in 1997, paid them a lot of money. And they went through and evaluated everything and found that I was deficient in three hormones, testosterone, thyroid, and growth hormone. And that was uh, like August. <clears throat> and by November, I started on treatment. By November, it was like I woke up. The first thing I did was I shot to the gym, two-year uh, subscription to the gym, and hired a guy for three days a week to work, you know, to work out. And it was just uh, 18 months later, I had gone from 21% body fat down to 9% body fat, and then ended up doing uh, martial arts, um, you know, just adding to the challenges. And um, I didn't realize at that time in 97, 98, that there was that association until 2004, when I was reading an article in preparation for a presentation for a medical organization, uh, which is the neuropsychobiology of uh, hormones. And I came across one article published 2004 uh, by the Turkish Medical Association, and it was about pugilism, about pugilists. And they had a unique growth hormone deficiency. Hmm. Just unique. And that was my epiphany. I presented in all my TBI lectures. That was my epiphany article. And then right after that came one from Thailand with Muay Thai uh, boxers showing that they had uh, growth hormone deficiency. And they seemed to just focus on growth hormone. But what developed was uh, an array of articles, thousands of articles when you started looking for them, where they were talking about other hormone relationships, where there was testosterone. And they they said there was growth hormone first, testosterone, thyroid, and then cortisol in that order of loss. What I've actually been seeing in my practice for the past 11 years is it's testosterone first and then growth hormone. Hmm. And, I, you know, 85% of the cases are mild TBI, not, you know, severe. So my case is uh, fundamentally based upon mild traumatic brain injuries where they have a 13 to 15 on the Glasgow score. The majority of them have a 15, a normal, never lost consciousness. They just had their bell rung. And we have guys from NFL and we have guys from uh, basketball. We have uh, pugilists. I did um, ESPN Outside the Line with uh, uh, Dr. Dan Kelly from UCLA at the time. Now he's the head of neurosurgery at uh, St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica. And, and he was the, I was the say, representative. For the, for the audience, pugilism is boxing, I I'm going to guess. Oh. Yeah, sorry, they, may, they may not know that. <laughs> well, the article was about, it said pugilist. It didn't say boxing. It said pugilism. So I just, right. you know, reiterated, yes, boxing, slapping each other across the face. Right. So um, <laughs> he was on the show and he talked about his research showing that there was this deficiency. 
Bye. Have a good day. Um, was, uh, you know, this association. And uh, then we brought in a couple of our patients who were James Tony, a boxer, five-time world champion, who was uh, boxing at that time for maybe 15, 16 years. And then a couple of football players came in and talked about their experience. And then when they were, uh, the lab results were shown. And then when they were treated, they talked about the, the benefits. And so that started out of the sports, started being the, the focus that I had. And then um, started having a couple of military coming in and seeing, you know, the, um, the literature that was coming out or the publications from the lay press, the news coming out about how many suicides were happening. In 2012, there were what? There was more deaths from suicide in the military than there were from the theater, you know, from the war theater, from action. And, um, you know, having had a father who was in uh, the army and so forth and having some friends who had been lost in Vietnam and so forth, it was an easy slide into that arena to start focusing on what was going on and then seeing these guys on eight, 10, 15 medications for treating a mental state that wasn't getting really better. They were being so fogged out by the medication that they had to be put on to, you know, a stimulate uh, dexamphetamine, methamphetamine called Adderall to counter out all the side effects. And then they needed a medication at bedtime, uh, Trasodon to help them to sleep and just back and forth and back and forth. So um, the... Um, Clarity there was that uh, looking at the hormones, you saw this pattern of hormone deficiency. And then we started replenishing their medication, uh, not replacing, not supplementing, but replenishing it, bringing it back to where ideally healthy levels of hormones are at. And, you know, laboratory, we follow a laboratory paradigm, which is inappropriate, really, for all of us. You know, laboratory testing is... A conglomerate of a whole group of people, 20 years of age, 30, 40, 50. And it assumes that we're just like a thousand other people, which we're not. We're so individual in our hormonal melu and we do tests. We have nine or 10 clinical studies going on in our office and they're not associated with any research institute. It's just programs that we do in the office to understand a little bit better about um, hormone interactions. And we see people who have idyllic levels, midline levels of hormones, but they're symptomatic. And what we do is just take them up 10, 15% in their range using physiological dosing. And they get better. Just had a football player um, a couple of months ago who mood was a little bit off and a little irritable. I wanted to slap him a couple of times, but he ends up being a really nice guy once he had his hormones corrected. He had chronic knee pain, had surgery on it. And within five days of starting his program, he sends back in his questionnaire, we have a questionnaire that gets sent out when we start a treatment within a week. And he said 150% improvement in his knees. Three months later, he's in the gym full time, no restrictions, and his personality was great. But looking at his labs, he was dead straight in the middle at 50th percentile, the median and we just brought him up between the median and 75% of the normal range or the assumed normal range. I think that's a really, really important practice, Pearl. You know, I think a lot of physicians and providers lose sight of and get lost in the numbers. Yes. And really, they have to treat their patient. And 
and you have to listen to your patient. You know, they teach you in medical school, medical school, if you do a proper history, you know, you probably use your exam as this confirmation of what you're doing. Right. And there, there is so much information just by listening to your patient and getting the symptoms from them. You know, I, I think that's really just really important. One thing that at least over my 16, 17 years of practice of medicine, I've really kind of um, been able to really kind of see it in, in life, you know, in my, in my clinic. But that's right. really an important practice pearl, I think, that right. should be emphasized to all providers. Um, you know, just because the normal number is normal doesn't mean the patient is normal, right? right. Um, I just wanted to go back. You had mentioned that in, in your clinic that you see the testosterone levels seem to, to decline first before anything else. Well, why do you think that is the case? Is there um, Have you kind of had any thoughts about that process in terms of why would it be growth hormone first or TSH first or well, whatever it may be? You know, the um, not getting too technical, but the cells in the pituitary that are uh, manufacturing of growth hormone are the greatest. They're in the front part of the pituitary. They fit on the lateral walls to the base. And testosterone is a smaller area of uh, cells that produce it or in the testicles from luteinizing hormone. And it's probably more sensitive to uh, inflammatory damage. That's the premise that I work on is that inflammatory damage to the regulatory mechanism in the brain leads to a deficiency of the signaling mechanism that from the brain signals the testicles or the ovaries or the adrenal glands or the thyroid glands to make hormones. So it's in what I'm seeing from the extensive labs that we do, and we do labs every month for three months on every patient, and then every six months thereafter, and then after three years every year, monitoring their levels. So we have acquired an incredible amount of data on the labs. To answer it specifically, I don't know why testosterone specifically is, is damaged um, in terms of the uh, gonadotropin-releasing hormone and the luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone that regulate production of sperm or egg and testosterone or estrogen and progesterone. But it does happen, and it's missed because what we have been looking at is the total testosterone level. I mean, that is the standard throughout urology, endocrinology, and internal medicine, is that you look at total testosterone. But uh, one of the guys that I follow at a UCLA, uh, Ron Swerloff, Dr. Ronald Swerloff, sweetheart of a guy, great endocrinologist, head of the department of Harvard General, UCLA, um, at, uh, in downtown, who, just recently, maybe within the past two years, wrote an article where he started saying, maybe we're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at total testosterone because total testosterone is a conglomerate of all types of testosterone that don't necessarily penetrate into the cell. What we know for a fact is that the free testosterone is the one that penetrates into the cell. You can't use uh, calculated free testosterone. You either need dialyzide, uh, dialysis of serum to get the free spectrum or using a technology called mass spectroscopy to determine the actual level of free testosterone. And once you have free testosterone, you know the potential, the volume, the amount, potential of hormone to get into the brain to regulate uh, benefits. Uh, we have a, uh, um, a nanoliposomal sublingual testosterone that we've been working with that gets into the brain for me in 12 and a half minutes, some people five minutes, some people 15 minutes, and you see within a very short period of time, they start feeling better. Depression subsides. Gentleman that I just got off the emails with this morning, a military had 
multiple antidepressants uh, not working, which is a telltale sign of, um, of depression-resistant treatment or resistant uh, treatment, um, resistance to treatment for depression. Um, and this I find very common in people who have deficiency of testosterone. We gave them a uh, shot of testosterone, 60 milligrams, which is the physiological amount that a male between 25 and 35 makes in one week. Not that 200, 300 milligrams that are traditionally being given outside. There were three articles published that showed that males produce 4.1 to 10 milligrams uh, a day. So that's 28 to 70 a week. So it's about 60 milligrams. And that's what we've been using for the past five, six years. The oldest article is from 1966. There's another one in 1980s and another one in 90s where they did this diurnal production of testosterone. And talking about diurnal, one of the questions and you know, what you said was absolutely right on. Let the patient talk to you. Let the patient tell you what's going on. Listen to what they're saying. And they would tell you that, you know, by three to four o'clock in the afternoon, they'd feel a slump. It's not siesta from eating a good breakfast, lunch or too much carbs. It's because that secondary pulse of testosterone doesn't happen in the afternoon. So you ask someone, male specifically, you ask, in the afternoon, do you ever get fatigued or feel drop off in energy at any particular time? And uh, they'll say usually between three and four. I have a slide in the presentation I do to the patient which has that on there. So when they say three to four, I click the slide and it says three to four. And they go, wow, magic. I said, no, this is science. This is, you know, what we know. If you read the science, it's, it's all there. But we've been looking for quick fixes with antidepressants and antipsychotics and so forth. You know, you probably saw the uh, program I did in November or we did in November uh, with uh, uh, Matthew Gosney and with Jason Hall, who was a screenwriter for American Sniper and Joe Rogan, where uh, Matthew, who was on 15 different medications, talks about his improvement. He attempted suicide in January. That's how he heard about us. He um, was put onto a program based upon his laboratory testing, which included number one deficiency, testosterone. And we just gave him a small amount to bring his level up to normal range or to an optimal range based on his response. And he's off all his medication except for one. And he was on three of the medications. He was on eight tablets of Oxycontin a day, four 40 milligram tablets of morphine a day, and two fentanyl patches per week for all pain and controlling pain. That's enough to you know, That's amazing <laughs> that he's even still sitting there and talking to you, right? I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. I didn't know about that. And I told him if I really knew that you were on all this stuff, I might not have taken you into the program because I didn't want people who had that secondary addictive. And he'd been on it for a long time. In six weeks, off everything except for one to two Oxycontins. Now, uh, November, December, January, February. Now, three months after, he's off everything. That's great. You know? detoxed rapidly you, you don't see that but this is go ahead well, i was gonna say you made a, when we talked a couple days ago you made an interesting point about how and, and this kind of struck me you talked about the clinics and they you know they give actually pretty high dosage of testosterone a week you know 150 250 300 maybe more right. and, and some athletes do that as well and they, my guess is that very, very first week, they feel great for a couple of days. Um, and 
And then you were talking about, you know, that overload actually then kicks them back into almost the exact same problem with, uh, you know, brain steroid and growth hormone and all those right. deficiencies that they originally had. So, you know, not now you, tr if you overtreated them basically, and then they get suppressed again and they almost end up in the same state, right? Is that, correct. that's what you were Absolutely. talking about? The, correct. The, the issue is, um, as uh, Rocky well knows that if you give any hormone to a patient and as replacement supplementation or excess, it shuts off the manufacturing of that hormone. So if I give testosterone to a person, the body says, ah, I've got lots of testosterone. I don't need to make it. So let's shut off the manufacturing of my own testosterone because he's giving it as an injection. Well, what happens is testosterone comes from cholesterol, which makes another chemical called pregnenolone, which makes another chemical called DHEA, which becomes testosterone on one pathway. And when you give testosterone, it shuts off the production of pregnenolone and DHEA, which are extremely important in the brain. So what we see from patients coming to us is that by four to six months into their testosterone-only protocol, they notice that they don't have the same responses in the beginning. So they go to the doc and say, look, it, I don't know what's happening. I've lost that feeling that I had from the testosterone that I had in the first four months. I need more. So they get more. And what they're doing is they're pushing the deficiency of the other hormones that are in the brain that regulate our sense of well-being, our stability of emotion, our reactivity in areas of the brain, the limbic, the amygdala that help us to deal with challenges around us. Someone picks up a pen and, and points it at you. You don't pick a gun up and shoot them because you misinterpreted it. You know it's a pen and you do nothing. But that's the regulatory mechanism in the brain. So what happens is when you use testosterone, you need to replenish, you need to test first at the beginning, pregnenolone and DHEAS and DHEA, and then replenish it by when you're given testosterone in the morning, at nighttime, you give the pregnenolone and DHEA. Why at night? DHEA can increase natural growth hormone production by about 20%, the same thing as um, estradiol does and the same thing melatonin does. And that's why I don't use a drug called anastrozole, which is a testosterone to estrogen blocker, because when you block estrogen in the brain, you lose the production of growth hormone, you lose nitric oxide, which helps with circulation, blood vessel dilation, mm -hmm. blood flows better, and you lose a cell in the brain called microglia, which are regulated by estradiol, and the microglias are like the white blood cells in your peripheral and you're circulating in your body, uh, which help to clean up junk that happens in the brain. So if you don't clean up the junk, you get inflammation. And if you get inflammation, it leads to breakdown of cells and death of cells. So it's all tied together. And therefore, you need to be comprehensive in your replacement. These clinics out there don't do it. Uh, they don't do appropriate testing. I had one guy come in from one of these um, male testosterone clinics who uh, called to transfer over to us because in the clinic he was at, every week he has to go there and physically get an injection by the person there. And he heard that we train our patients in a class, hygienic injections, sterile technique, everything about how to inject safely. And we use an itty bitty needle 
which is a five-eighths needle because you don't need the long one and you don't need to go deep intramuscular because of the studies done by a Dr. Eugene Shippen who wrote the book Testosterone um, Syndrome. Uh, and he showed that you get the same beneficial levels a little delayed as intramuscular without that trauma of that big needle going into the buttocks or into the thigh or wherever by a five-eighths needle. And he also promotes uh, subcutaneous uh, fat in the abdomen. I've tried it, get great levels, but I just don't like that technique. It works. So um, he uh, called in, I spoke to Craig, and I said, send me your labs from before you got treated. Well, there were like five lab tests that came in, and one of them was a, a brain regulator of testosterone in the, uh, in the testicles called FSH, uh, more on the production of sperm, but it also is involved with, um, with testosterone production, and it was very, very low. So I picked up the phone and called Craig, who's 42, and I said, did you ever have any head trauma? And he said, well, when he was 18, he was in a car accident where he was T-boned on the driver's side. He was the driver, and his head whiplashed into the side window and shattered it. So I said, okay, you had head trauma. So I said, we can go and just start you on testosterone, or we can be more comprehensive and look deeper at this thing because we might be missing things. Well, it turned out he had two and a half hormone deficiencies. He had two full hormone, central hormone deficiencies, and one that was on the border, which is thyroid. Thyroid um, is a little bit more uh, complex and following it to see if it really is deficient. But uh, I think it's going to come out where uh, the pattern between the brain's TSH and thyroid production, the neck is suggesting that it is a, a brain-related central process because his TSH is 0.7 and it should be, you know, someplace one to two, around two. So it indicates that his brain is not producing the stimulation to the thyroid and his T4, which is the precursor to the active form of thyroid T3, was 1.1 um, and the midpoint is about 1.5. So when we analyze labs going full circle, when we analyze labs, what we look at is the, the range that the laboratory gives us. And if it's, let's say, for the sake of this argument, like TSH 0.5 to 4.5, uh, we do the median, take 0.5, add it to 4.5, you get 5 divided by 2 and 2.5. So 2.5 is the median. And what that means in terms of hormones, if you had perfect balance called homeostasis, where the drive of the body to increase the hormone and the other drive of the body to decrease it when it's excess, you would be someplace in the middle, in the median, because you'd always have this moment-to-moment -moment regulation of it. So we look at every hormone at the median. So on testosterone, which has a range, this I love, testosterone <laughs> has a range of 273 to 1730. And if you come in at 274, the doc says, you're normal. Yep. Right? <laughs> and the patient says, but doc, I have no libido. I'm depressed. The antidepressants aren't working. I can't build any muscle when I'm in the gym. I just want to sit home and cry. Well, your, thought, your testosterone's normal. 273 is abnormal. You're 274. You're normal. Uh, take extra antidepressants. Here, you're on three antidepressants. This guy, Gosney, was on three antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, trazodone, just crazy.
It is pretty crazy. I mean, you, you know, and, and you had mentioned the, these testosterone clinics and that's the one thing I always see they're coming back and you know, it's interesting. Our electronic medical record pulls pharmacy data. So I, I know if they're on Aramidex or an Astrozole because it pops up and I'm like, well, how often are you taking that? And like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I see you're taking, you're getting injected 250 milligrams a week and, and they got you on an Astrozole as well. How often are you taking it? Oh, I take it every other day. And I'm like, well, you know, there's, there is a disconnect here that, you know, that no one really puts together and, right. and, and not to mention, as we talked about earlier about the, the link between cardiovascular disease and low testosterone, that's completely ignored. That is not even addressed. And mm -hmm. so um, that's the other thing that really is a pet peeve of mine is that, that if you've got, you know, the, the, the patients going to these clinics and they have low testosterone, okay, there is a lot going on that, that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And all they're doing is treating a number and then out the door. Correct. Uh, not, not to mention the amount of money that they're making. Exactly. I mean, you know, when I tell these, when I tell patients how much it would cost for them to do TRT um, on a legitimate basis, and I tell them, and I go, it's not a lot of money. Um, and they tell me how much they're spending. Um, they're spending 10 to 15 times more than what it actually probably costs to get done in an appropriate manner. So we it's have, pretty crazy. Yeah, we have a, um, you know, I have a pharmacist license and uh, have a pharmaceutical development uh, company. And about 12, 13 years ago, developed a blended uh, testosterone, which we have a compounding pharmacy manufacturer, compound, can't manufacture, compound and send it directly to the patient. And it's very expensive. Six months supply, $100. Right. <laughs> Six months supply, $100. And when they compare the single type testosterone to this blended one, no comparison, because um, one of the components is testosterone propionate, which gets into the cell in three to four hours and lasts for three to four days. And then it has a backup of cypionate and it uh, can last for five to seven days. So we have two protocols, one that's 60 milligrams once a week for about 30% of the people. It works beautifully well. And then we've shifted over to, uh, for the TBI patients, a uh, 40 milligrams every third day. So they inject one day and then two days no, inject and then two days no. And they get a steady state. And what happens in about six months, we can actually drop down the dosing uh, from 0.2, which is 40 milligrams, to 30 milligrams. And they get the same benefit. And what we use is a natural uh, aromatase inhibitor called zinc. <laughs> I never heard of it. Called zinc. Okay. Now, zinc citrate, you know, stops the conversion of testosterone to uh, estradiol. Also, it's involved in about 300 processes. One is anti-Alzheimer's. Another is anti-cancer. Anti-cancer, you can look up on Wikipedia, P53, P53, and you see this most uh, the strongest anti-cancer product in our nucleus, in our cell, but it's not working because we're deficient in zinc. So we do zinc testing on everybody, anti-Alzheimer's through an enzyme called um, secretase, alpha-secretase, anti-cancer, antiviral. People start taking zinc when they get a cold. Why don't you take it before you get a cold so you don't get a cold? In 19 years, I've had uh, been ill six days other than my gallbladder exploding. And patients, you know, in their questionnaire that they do every month, start talking about, I'm no longer getting colds. Everybody in my office is sick or everybody in my home is sick. The kids are sick. I didn't get sick. I usually would get sick. And this is, you know, something that's being missed is the benefit of zinc. Zinc citrate is the best on absorption. Then there's 
Uh, gluconate and fumarate, which are also good, but citrate seems to work best. Side effects, you have to take copper and make sure that you don't become iron deficient. You need four milligrams of copper a day if you're taking you know, 60, 80, 90 uh, milligrams of zinc. Toxicity is about 110 to 120 milligrams a day, but never seen anybody get toxic on it yet. So I want to circle back uh, because yes. we're talking about supplementing with testosterone, which you know you need to be under the care of a physician or go on go to one of these clinics. And testosterone boosters have gotten just ridiculously popular lately. I I had mm-hmm. some friends that had a supplement company, and they were selling the normal stuff, fat burners, uh, which are usually popular pre workout, post workout, protein, uh, and they they were having a really hard time. They were making um, you know, they were bringing in like $20,000 a month and their operating costs were $10,000 a month. Um, they brought out a testosterone booster product. Uh, just, you know, they put, put it together out of the literature, you know, no matter how bad the literature was. And within four months of releasing that product, their profit hit a million dollars a month. And mm-hmm. of course, and they were doing the same marketing techniques um, they were placing their ads in the same places. So there's mm-hmm. a massive amount of popularity around testosterone boosters. And one thing, you know, I know some of the data is okay or whatever, but you made a good point when I asked you your opinion on them. You were like, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And I think one of the key key things that have come out of this whole talk is the testing. You know, what what scenarios that you know of or that you would – you've seen, do the testosterone boosters actually have any efficacy? Uh, Yes. In our extensive 21-page questionnaire that a patient fills out before I see them, it includes supplements, everything. And uh, when they have the the testosterone boosters, many of them have in it zinc, which helps to naturally increase testosterone production by the testicles, a plant called teres tribulus, and then amino acids, and this, that, and the other. And they do have a uh, boost in the production of testosterone, but it also causes suppression of the pregnenolone and the uh, DHEA, DHEAS, the allopregnenolone, progesterone, cortisol. They all get squashed down. But in terms of testosterone on the right, there are two major pathways, uh, one that goes down pregnenolone to cortisol and the other one that goes from pregnenolone to DHEA to testosterone to estradiol. Um, that limb of the testosterone estrogen level or estrogen levels uh, gets a boost, but the other side suffers. So they do work. And um, the pattern that we see is a lot of what they call uh, total testosterone instead of free testosterone. So you get a lot of testosterones that are bound to, you know, albumin, sex hormone binding globulin, cortisotropic, a binding globulin, um, thyroid binding globulin, protein X, Y, and Z. Um, what, uh, there's a couple of um, metabolites of testosterone that are generated also. So you don't really know what you're getting because in total testosterone, you can break it out into their epitestosterone, into their specifics with mass spectroscopy, but it's an expensive procedure. If they do work, what you're getting is generic testosterone, not specific. I don't see it really raising the free. So you're getting total. Got it. So, so they might, 
Yeah, they they could be they raising get a their. Yeah, and I've seen oh, I, it. They it get benefits. Yeah, I, I know a lot of them work through, or at least some of the more recent ones are. They're trying to depend on. Um, I can't even remember the herb now. Um, fenugreek because it helps to increase luteinizing hormone. And then okay. And then they go down that pathway, and I, you know, I've just always been on the fence uh, because there's a strong correlation. And again, this is where testing comes in. And I know for the average person, there's a lot more access to uh, doing testing yourself. I mean, you can go in, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but you can basically go in, they'll draw a blood sample. It's like LabCorp maybe, and they'll run whatever Uh, panels you want. You have to pay for it. That's through life extension. <clears throat> through Life Extension, through Bill Falone of Life Extension, uh, they have a great program which uses Quest um, <clears throat> for doing the laboratory work. And yeah, it bypasses the physician. Uh, they make a generic statement through the laboratory because there's no physician to really interpret it. So you bring the labs to your primary doc. The cost that they have for it is significantly lower than what it would cost you. To walk into the doctor, the doctor send it to the Quest lab, and Quest charges you know what they charge. So it's better to do it that way than to not do anything. I I, I get upset <clears throat> and frustrated when uh, people start on programs uh, out there and they've never done any testing to see whether they really needed anything. They end up screwing up their biochemistry. Oh yeah, I've seen that in some of the athletes that I've worked with. And of course I'm not going to name names, but because I'm doing their diet, they always have questions about their other supplement regimen. And when I look at the levels of some of these things, I'm like, this is, you know, five to 10 times what they'll use on a racehorse. Like, what are you doing to yourself? And after a few conversations, if they're willing to back off, their performance goes up. They feel better. They're actually, their body fat composition changes significantly. Uh, it goes down, you know, all the things that for them were counterintuitive. It's like, oh, something's going wrong. I need to add more of this. Or my buddy right. said he's using this, so I added this in. Or, you know, this guy said to do this, so I added this. And it's just, you know, additive on top of additive. I'm like, holy right. shit, how are you not just dropping dead? There are certain benefits, yeah, from excessive amount of, uh, from testosterone. Benefits of testosterone are uh, lost, like testosterone converts, testosterone is a precursor hormone. Yeah, it has functions throughout the body, but the real activated form of testosterone is called dihydrotestosterone, Mm -hmm. DHT. DHT has a window of uh, opportune effectiveness or optimal effectiveness. And if you're lower than the window, you don't get the benefits. If you're higher than the window, you you lose your benefits. One of the areas is in wound healing and healing. Uh, If your DHT is too high or too low, you don't heal very well. Um, DHT also leads to prostate enlargement, shrinkage of the testicles, acne, oily skin, thinning of the hair if it's too high in the blood. So when we do our testing, we want free testosterone to be high to get into the cells to convert to DHT in the tissue, in the cells, not in the serum, not in the blood. And, um, you know, I see people who are on topical testosterone who um, their DHT levels are in the thousands. Normally, it's like less than 60, but they're in the thousands and no one monitors that. I mean, 
docs that are dispensing uh, topical testosterone should be monitoring you know, the DHT, the DHEA, the pregnenolone, and the estrogens, and they don't. They just monitor total testosterone. So they're doing a great service with a back-end disservice to the patients. And that's what needs to really be addressed. And the number one uh, distributed uh, testosterone supplementation through a physician is a topical gel or cream or under-the-armpit deodorant which brings up the issue of, you know, contact. The reason why they went to under the arm is because contact of topical gel to uh, a female can alter their hormone production and lead to problems, especially when they're young. And that's what was happening. And that's why the company came out with one under the armpit to try and minimize the surface exposure to any children or your loved one. You know, I never saw the problem where, uh, a significant other gets in contact with your testosterone, just heightens their libido. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, these downstream dysregulation patterns that you can see when you're over-treating, do you think this is probably one of the reasons why we have some of these conflicting meta-analysis that have been published recently? Testosterone, cardiovascular disease, that really these are the outliers that are probably shifting the curve and making people think this way. Well, um, I think part of the problem, which has been documented, is that the way that they interpreted the, uh, the data, a uh, gentleman by the name of Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler from Harvard, he has a men's clinic, he's probably the one um, responsible for the term low T syndrome, uh, refuted the two articles that came out talking about increased cardiovascular disease from testosterone. They never showed the quantity and type of testosterone that was being used and probably high amount of testosterone which causes an increase in muscle metabolism, which if you're on the edge having, and the other thing is all these people already had heart attacks. There are people who already had medical cardiovascular disease with post-coronary uh, post artery disease or heart attacks. And um, they promoted that there was a 3% increase in death if they were on testosterone. When he redid the numbers, you know, statistics, Whatever you want to say, you can manipulate the numbers and get whatever you want out of it. He re-presented the numbers more logically, and there was actually a 30% reduction in cardiovascular disease. Then you go back to the literature. There are three articles right now, or you know, three articles right now that say that testosterone can increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. There are tens of thousands of articles that have been published in the past that show that that's not the case, that it helps. Studies out of the University of um, Minnesota, not Minnesota, of, um, uh, not Chicago, not Illinois, uh, Michigan, University of Michigan did a study where they injected into the coronary arteries uh, testosterone and it caused vasodilatation, caused the blood vessels to open up. There was a book published in 1985, 1984, 1984 by Springer and Verlag which is a major medical publishing company out of Germany called Testosterone and Cardiovascular Disease. And the, the book was all about the improvement in cardiovascular disease with the use of testosterone. And they had plates and plates and plates, uh, pictures and pictures and pictures. And they showed case after case of people who had um, bad circulation in their lower legs from the knees down, whether or not it was secondary to uh, diabetes or from atherosclerotic vascular disease 
or something called Berger's disease, which is spasming of the arteries, smoking associated with it, Ashkenazi East European associated with it. And they were able to take people, give them an option, amputation below the knee or go on this protocol of two to three milligrams of testosterone uh, a day. So they chose the two to three and they showed resolution of these humongous ulcers on the tibial, the lower leg, the thinnest area, the poorest circulation areas of the lower leg. And you saw within three to six months, totally gone. They didn't need amputation. Yeah, I think a lot of confounding can be seen in these patients because obviously, at least the way I look at it, they're probably all insulin resistant. And, you know, it's a that predefined population is going to be at risk as well. And then and we know that, you know, in general, testosterone does sensitize you, right? I mean, it is an insulin sensitizer to a certain degree. And, right. and that probably helps reduce your cardiovascular risk from that standpoint in addition, if they're doing some of the other things they should be doing in their lifestyle as well. Yeah. In diabetics, if you look at insulin-dependent diabetics, which we have, who are physically active because their testosterone levels are great, and you look at the ones who are uh, physically non-active because their, ins their growth hormone testosterone levels are low, and when you replace the testosterone, their insulin requirements drop. I have a gentleman who's in the entertainment world who's a stuntman. When we corrected his hormonal deficiencies, his 60 units of spread out, different kinds of, uh, you know, Humulin and uh, fast-acting, slow-acting, lentil, lenti, um, his requirements split in half. Wow. And he was more stable in his insulin. He didn't have the ups and downs. Because testosterone, as you just said, sensitizes receptors, the gluc receptors, to um, insulin. So what we see in regular people is that when they go from being um, low testosterone to normal testosterone, relatively speaking, their blood sugar regulation becomes better because muscle metabolism just uses all the sugar, so it drops your sugar. So that's what was happening in, um, in uh, Michael with the uh, late-onset insulin-dependent diabetic. So regulates everything in the body. Testosterone in the brain uh, stimulates an enzyme called neprilysin, which drops the accumulation of uh, a protein called beta-amyloid, which is associated with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, estradiol does the same thing. Progesterone does the same thing. Uh, progesterone's metabolite called allopregnanolone is under research now at UCLA for cognitive mental benefits. I was just doing this morning a couple of slides showing how these hormones regulate the receptors in the brain that allow us to process information, uh, how to uh, process information also that regulates some of our mood-related issues. Um, pregnenolone, allopregnenolone, sulfonated forms of it. And this is a relatively new science with the neurosteroids and the neuroactive steroids. What neuroactive steroids are, are the hormones produced in our periphery, like in a thyroid gland or a testicles, ovaries, or adrenal glands that go through the circulation and end up in the brain, influencing, um, influencing our uh, mental functionings. And what they found, Dr. Beilu from France found seven or eight years ago, is that the brain, in fact, makes its own hormones identical to the ones that are in the peripheral body. So in my brain, it makes pregnenolone, testosterone, estradiol, um, progesterone, cortisol is all produced in the brain. And they found the enzymes in the brain that lead through the entire 
pathway for making from cholesterol to testosterone, which brings up the issue about cholesterol. Um, in the studies in neuroendocrinology, it clearly shows that cholesterol gets stored in neurons and in the uh, helper cells called glia, astrocytes, oligodendrocytes, and so forth, and that the uh, cholesterol is used to manufacture these hormones in the brain. So when you start looking at some of the science that's out there, they show that people who have less than 200 in cholesterol have a higher occurrence of dementia and Alzheimer's disease because what you lose are the chemical modifiers or modulators of chemical pathways in the brain. Um, so in dropping the ability of our body to make cholesterol, we're dropping an entire group of hormones that help to maintain our quality of health, not only in the physicality, but in the, in the brain too. You know, when you look at the TBI patients, since we're kind of on this cardiovascular blood sugar kind of discussion, uh -huh. um, one of the things I did as a researcher as a student, uh, both in medical school and undergrad, is we did cerebral ischemia protocols. We induced stroke uh, on, and then we would look at blood sugar levels and induce hyperglycemia and see what happens. And we know that when patients have, or when, when in these studies that we did, and in the literature, when, when blood sugar levels are higher and you have injury, the, the damage to the reestablishment of blood flow is much worse. Have you seen any correlations with either baseline blood sugar, baseline hemoglobin A1Cs, and in, in severity or patterns of TBI that you've seen in guys coming to see you? Well, we know that growth hormone, when it generates its active, active um, representative called IGF-1, insulin-like insulin growth factor 1, that uh, acts as insulin in the brain 10% equivalent to function of insulin, that when growth hormone levels are low, the neurons, the cells in the brain cannot get sugar. And what happens is you end up having a cognitive impairment like someone who has head trauma. So what you ideally want in someone who has head trauma is you want all the systems working optimally. And they can't be when you have a deficit in the ability of getting sugar into the nerves which brings up an interesting study that came out on cell phones, that when you put a cell phone up against your, your, forehead, your head to listen to it, the microwave causes stimulation of neurons in that region and increases their metabolism and drains out the sugar, the carbohydrates, the glucose that is in the area so, such that you'll see a raise in metabolism and then the area drops in metabolism and I think it was a PET scan that they used to do it. And um, what happens is you have areas devoid of glucose metabolism, which creates its own set of damage. Now, traumatic brain injury, people think of as I take a, you know, a Louisville slugger and hit you across the head or a hammer, or you get shot or a blast wave, or you get pushed down the stairs or a car accident. Stroke is a very, very uh, important factor. Certain medications, ionizing radi uh, radiation, all lead to this process of traumatic brain injury, which is a chemical process. The first stage of traumatic brain injury is a physical, where you lose cells or you lose volume of your brain, but that creates a secondary phase, which is inflammation. That inflammation needs to be taken care of by anti-inflammatories and good nutrition. 
to help the, the cells to work. You need sugar for the mitochondria to make energy called ATP, which run everything in the brain. And therefore, it's all about energy management. So when you're talking about sugar, it's about optimal levels in the brain. Too much sugar, as you know, glycation end products creates inflammation. By having too much sugar, having too low causes hypoglycemia, which is associated with triggering uh, mitochondrial death. And there's a process called apoptosis, uh, which is uh, programmed cell death. And that can be triggered by low blood sugar. And another thing called autophagia or you know, autophagia can also lead to destruction of mitochondria, loss of energy and loss of cell function and death. So it's all tied together. I mean, it's impossible for me to stay on one track because it's all tied together. And for the past, you know, 10 years, uh, reading 30 to 40 articles uh, a week on this subject of neuroendocrinology, it is just fascinating science that is now starting to rise to the surface because we can't answer why I put this patient on three different antidepressants. They're not getting better. They're still depressed, but they're on three antidepressants. So we're looking deeper at the uh, what Dr. Bailu started up with um, uh, neurosteroids, which are the ones produced in the brain from cholesterol. Now I know your your protocols. I know you keep pretty pretty tight lid on them, especially who can get access to the formulations that you have custom compounded and. You know, we just got Rocky to sign up to go to a training so that, you know, he could get okayed for this. So let's let's talk about that because this is, I mean, A, you already nixed me from going to this first one, which actually pissed me off a little bit. Absolutely. So, of course, I want to talk about this. Uh, let's, let's talk about this because we actually do have a lot of um, family doctors and uh, primary care physicians who listen to the show. Right. Okay, then let me explain it to you this way. Wait, wait, this explain is, to me why I got kicked out before I even... Okay, you no. <laughs> you didn't get kicked out. There, you, got, you were delayed for the VIP class. Okay? Uh, that's even worse. Everything gets, that's even worse. That? That's even no. worse. <laughs> here's, the, here's the reality of it. You don't know me, really. I've just True. got finished spending 10 years collecting information to write a book that I've been working on for four years. And what I've decided to do, because my background in computer and electronics, more in computer, having had a computer company for about 11 years, is about technology. The technology that we're using in this digital documentation is um, limited. And I want to test it out on a very tight group of docs that have been screened um, for primary care, so primary care physicians. So I've got lawyers who want to come to the class. Next class. We've got nurses, PAs, next class. Um, primary care docs, family docs, internal medicine, naturopathic docs, because I have a daughter who's a naturopath. She's worked in my office for two years and then went to her naturopathic. She was in nutrition and food technology from SDSU, San Diego State University. And they have a great understanding of not only um, natural medication, because all the hormones that we use, our testosterone, pregnenolone, DHEA, estradiol, progesterone, is all plant-based. Pharmaceutical grade, uh, FDA regulated, 
quality product. So the first 100 docs that we're hoping to have are to help me. I've got 1,800 people waiting for a doctor who's been trained to go in and help them. Medicine is a business. I treat it more as a, um, a calling for myself. And I screen the doctors to make sure that I've no, I know most of them that are coming in over the years that I've been lecturing. And I know that their personality will be focusing in on um, taking care of the patient. What Rocky said in the beginning, we have to listen to the patient. We have to be holistic. We have to take care of the patients, not the numbers, not use the money as the, you know, as the guide for it. Yeah, everybody needs money to survive. So I put a very tight uh, parameter on uh, the first group. The next group will be 250 people, which will be open for anybody to come into. And you'll get your invitation to be a guest of ours to make up for the perceived <laughs> insult by not letting you come in. Okay. But I have uh, now three military organizations uh, that have contracted with us because two of the three are our patients now and have experienced from the multi-pharmacopoeia of drugs that weren't working to going on to um, our protocol uh, protocols have had significant improvement in 48 hours that they've made a commitment and they've talked to some of our uh, other military and saw the uh, two programs I did on, um, on uh, Joe Rogan and then the program two weeks ago with uh, Dr. Drew where we had another um, foreman on there talking about his experience in 48 hours, Jordan had significant improvement after suffering for three years we have a guy at DOD at the Pentagon who 21 years after um, having his traumas, uh, within five weeks, he was 70% better. After about two years, he's 90% better. And it's that last 10% that he's browbeating me on. He got 90. You, 10, <laughs> anyway, so the, the reason why is because I want to make absolutely sure that the first group of people have uh, are, I know, and will help me to improve what I'm doing. It's a manageable amount of people in a hundred. Also, these people, I have faith in them doing the right thing when they go out there. Um, the technology, they'll feed back on, they'll help me to improve what I'm doing. You know, my ego is such that I don't doubt what I'm doing, but I listen to the people around me. That's how I've become a better physician in listening to the patients, having patients come in and talk to me and says, you know, I've never had a doctor listen to me like you're listening or dialogue with me like you're dialoguing with. You really must care about what you're doing and you care about me. And I said, yeah, that's the difference. We need to be, as a group, we need to be more focused on the needs of the patient, not our needs. So that's what I'm looking for in the physicians, period. All right, I'll, I'll take that okay. for now. Okay. I, I'm still gonna be butthurt over it. Take that for now. <laughs> How about this? I send you a copy of the first book. Uh, let me think about it. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm pretty upset over it. <laughs> Trust me, this tell. is not going to go away, Mark. Fine. He's going to never let you never let you live this down. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. As long as that's what keeps our uh, conversation open, fine. Yeah. That's one. What so, else? So, well, so how can, how can, um, well, 
we'll 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 discuss how you can make this up to me later. But how can where can people go to uh, to to sign Uh, up for this? Right. Um, All physicians, regardless of their subspecialty or specialty, can go to TBI Med Legal M E D L E G A L dot com and click the uh, physician training. And uh, they'll put in the information, their specialty, and so forth. And um, what will happen is the intake form goes to my office, and I look at it, and I tell my office, um, the woman in my office, uh, Haley, to, uh, you know, sign them in. Or I'll call them and talk to them. Um, I'm putting a lot of effort into this to make sure that the first group is the, um, is the idyllic optimal group to start with to help me right off the bat. These are docs who have already been through uh, training in interventional endocrinology, either having been through my courses over the past 10 years, 15 years, uh, or docs who are, you know, in organizations that I know who have received the basic training and the advanced training in hormone modulation or hormone intervention or TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, um, or bioidentical hormone replacement. The University Compounding Pharmacy is an organization or a group that I work with. They have great, great programs, great doctors, uh, for the most part, um, giving the lectures, Ron Rothenberg, um, Dr. Jonathan Wright, uh, Sangeeta Patty. Um, you know, these are some of the great docs that trained me uh, way back when, and they're still out there training, and they offer new cutting edge or leading edge technology and science behind um, the tre- the assessment and the treatment, diagnosis and treatment for hormone deficiencies. So just go to the website, sign in. Uh, we'll get back to you. We still have probably out of the 100, we have maybe uh, 40 some odd uh, openings left. And uh, we had an introductory offer for a, a reduction uh, for the first 33, we passed that, but we're extending it. So everybody gets the same rating. So the cost for the class is $2,500. Uh, they get a, a Kindle Fire. They get uh, their meals, uh, six meals. Um, they get uh, coffee. They get schmoozing. They get some uh, you know, gifts from uh, discounted on laboratory. Uh, I'm medical director of the education for Access Medical Lab, who's my partner who allows a $2,300 laboratory test to be made available to the patients for about $800. It's our fully comprehensive hormonal testing. The equivalent on Quest is $2,300. So uh, the test is priced. I gave up my salary for access so that we can get negotiated a better rate that gets passed on to uh, the patients, as well as the Military three military support organizations will be um, paying directly to the physicians that we bring into our military TBI network. Will be paying the doctors directly to see um, the patient for assessment. And as long as they follow our protocol, they'll be brought in. They'll be paid per person uh, to help us because we have right now in our small. Uh, group, we have like 260 military waiting to get um, assessed. We've already uh, gone through about 60 or 
60 or high 50s so far in the past um, December, January, February, March, in four months. And the response on everybody's responded. Everybody's responded. You're probably just scratching the surface because it probably doesn't even count law enforcement and those in fire who have military background in the past. Right. We have a we have a reduced program for military, for um, police, and for firefighters. We have a reduced package for them. And um, what happens is we'll send out, if they're not here or they're in California or outside California, we'll send out uh, a nurse to their house or to their place of employment and have blood drawn and then send it to our lab in Florida. Florida will send us the uh, results. I'll sit down and for each case, it takes me about 45 minutes to an hour, review their 21 pages, their medication, their history and so forth, and write a report, which is four pages long, and that gets emailed through HIPAA compliance, emailed to them, and then it's put into a 80, let's say 80 average handbook that gets FedEx to the person. When they receive the FedEx, we set up to do a Skype call, and the Skype call is between 45 minutes and 60 minutes, where we go through every detail of their laboratory and the results, and what their protocol, ideal protocol is, and then we negotiate between uh, if they want to take injectable testosterone, if they want to take something that stimulates their testosterone, Clomid or HCG, um, if they're going to fly in, if we're going to use their doctor in their state um, to help them uh, with the program. Uh, they get access to our very expensive testosterone, $100 for six months supply, and uh, we have a video or else live that we teach them how to self-inject the testosterone right into their uh, thigh, which I've been doing for 19 years, almost 20 in May. Um, and uh, we do a follow-up in two weeks, and there's no charge for that. There's no charge for the hour that we spend on the phone uh, or the email or, excuse me, on the uh, Skype dialoguing. Um, then there's a follow-up in a month, they start filling out a monthly questionnaire, which has 24 questions on it. And it gives us fine tuning of what we need to do. And uh, all this stuff is included in the course, all the documents that we've developed over the past uh, 20 years uh, is available, is given to uh, all the participants, all our uh, PowerPoint presentations are given to the uh, participant. Uh, the book, which is um, the book, which is called uh, Traumatic Brain Injury, A Clinical Approach to Diagnosis and Treatment, 10 chapters in it. Uh, there's 1,500 hyperlinked references in this book, which is about, um, let's see, it's about 320 pages. And when you're reading a paragraph, every paragraph has a reference point. And if you touch that reference, it takes you to um, anywhere between 20 to 25 sites on the internet and brings up the article and brings up the full article in most cases so someone can read the whole article um, about neuroactive steroids by Dr. Bailu or wants to read about uh, testosterone, um, diurnal production of testosterone, the 1966, the 1987 article and the 1993 article, they can bring it up and read it for themselves. Don't believe me. Read the article. I don't believe anyone being a good New Yorker. I read the information. And based on that information, 
uh, whether or not it's validated by having an adequate amount of test subjects or the parameters for the uh, double blind or the crossover studies are appropriate for making whatever decisions they make. So the doctors will have all this uh, given to them as well as um, we will make arrangements for the patients that we have in every state to see them uh, as the referral and not come in to see me and we'll help them through the first one or two cases uh, to make sure that their protocols that they select of ours are the most accurate. So we'll help to train them and then someplace down the road we'll have a one-day refresher class or a webinar which will help with cases. And throughout the three-day course that we're having, uh, May 14th, 15th, and 16th, there are lots and lots of example cases. And we have two lectures, which are just case presentation and interpretation with participation of the audience so that they understand how it's really a simple process. You get the median. If they're below the median, bring them up to the median. If the median works, great. If it doesn't, bring them up a little higher. Um, how to address the inflammation in the brain with things like PQQ, CoQ10, quercetin, L-carnosine. There are a whole bunch of natural products. That's why we invited in naturopathic doctors. We have an opening for 25 naturopathics. We've got 10 or 11 of them filled um, because a lot of what we do fits exactly into the naturopathic philosophy of not using you know, prescription products or synthetic products, but using natural products. And a lot of the stuff we use, like quercetin and the PQQ and the acosinoids, the omega, you know, omega-3 and 6 and the uh, vitamin A's and so forth, A's and E's, they're natural products that have incredible response. Barry Sears, the guy who did the Zone Diet and wrote a, part, a book called The Omega Diet, uh, he was at um, lecturing at the lecture that I, uh, we were all attending, and he gave this incredible presentation on a guy who had massive head trauma who was put on ultra-high doses of uh, omegas, threes, and had incredible return of clarity of his functioning where it was thought that he would be significantly impaired. Um, you know, so a lot of natural things help with the inflammation in the brain, and that's what's being missed. We need to address the inflammation. So I know I spoke over what you asked me. Oh, I expected well, I look forward it. to being at the course. So it sounds like it's an amazing course. Yeah, well, I'm hoping to make it better by people like yourself, Rocky, and doctors. We've got a doctor flying in from uh, Elizabeth uh, Harris flying in from New Zealand. We've got a group of docs from Canada coming in, a Dr. Lawrence Comer, who I've known for many years. He's OBGYN. And then three uh, NDs from uh, Canada who are uh, graduates of Bastyr uh, University, which is a major naturopathic uh, natu ND school in uh, Seattle, which my daughter goes to the branch in San Diego. Uh, just great education across the board. So... We're hoping to have a lot of input, uh, direction to help me do this better. You know, first time through for me in a lot of aspects in doing this, and I just hope people are kind and help to constructively help me be better. Uh, that that might be a good reason not to invite me to the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> You're the ball buster, huh? 
Pretty much. Rocky yeah, can attest accuracy. to that. Yeah. I, accuracy is extremely important. You know, for years, I've had people um, attack me, uh, not attack, uh, request that I support everything that I do when I start talking in lectures. So all my lecture slides are articles or 20 articles on one slide with the same message to be given that, uh, you know, allopregnenolone or progesterone blocks inflammation in the brain, causes nerve regeneration, causes connection synapses between nerves to improve. Lots of science out there that's being ignored or overlooked. Same difference, right? Yeah. So, well, okay. yeah. We did go a little bit over the hour, but like I said, I expected that from our previous conversation that I was expecting to be maybe an hour that turned into three and a half. Um, uh -huh. No, so it was one hour and 58 minutes uh, with a 15 minute, uh, anticipated 15 minutes. Look at the uh, Skype. It records right. it. One hour and 58 minutes. All right. So, Your fault. Uh, you let me talk. That's why I warned you. Guide me. Well, you know, it's this this one. I'm glad we did that. This was pretty streamlined, um, but it, you know, it, it's got to be all over the place. You've got to take all the different inroads and conversations and tangents because, really, at the end of it, they're not tangents. It's just part of the entire picture that you you've done a really good job of. At least I hope helping people understand that there's there's not one thing you can treat and expect everything else is going to fall in line. It's just not going to work that way, right? Unfortunately, that's what's going on in the outside world uh, based upon, you know, the uh, patients that come in who are already on some kind of a protocol or a program uh, that it's too narrow. And I know it's for cost-saving reasons, and it's also limitation of the insurance. And that's why we don't use insurance because, you know, when I started down this pathway in 99, I was advised by my counsel uh, that to avoid any of the pitfalls of, um, you know, insurance companies coming after you for doing these, why are you doing all these hormone testing? We don't do that. Um, there was a case in, uh, in, uh, New Zealand, of one of my colleagues there who was being brought to task because she did something unusual in New Zealand. She ordered a thyroid stimulating hormone, a free T3 and a free T4 to assess whether or not they're making adequate amount of active hormone. And she got pulled into the medical board because the standard of care in New Zealand is just doing the TSH test. And with the TSH, you can't tell anything until it's extreme. Right. So, so this is a lot what's going on. We have to change the paradigm. And one of the chapters in the book is all about this, changing the paradigm. Uh, statisticians have proven that the normal standard ranges or the reference ranges are inappropriate for me, for you, for Rocky, for any individual, because they represent a group representation, not an individual. And you don't know whether that patient had head trauma or the patient had anything that would have disturb their normal production of hormones such that you have skewing, it's lower than what would expect or higher than what would expect, which influences the statistical interpretation, the math behind it. Right. So anyway, All right. adieu. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show, Mark. Uh, we'll make sure Thank you. all the information is on the show notes so people can uh, get into your course uh, while there's still slots available and learn more about right. everything you do. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, and the military will appreciate it. They've, they're very thankful that uh, we're doing what we're doing and the, the difference that we're making is great. And anything you can do to help to get the word out there, uh, that's great. And I will say that 25% of all proceeds uh, in the class go directly to support uh, the military. Last year, we put in about $200,000 into diagnosis and treatment for those people who couldn't afford it that needed it. And we review every one of the cases for need. And the results are just, you know, they're great. Absolutely great. Thank you. Yep. Rocky, Thanks, I'll see you in May. I'll put you Definitely. front of the class. All right. Okay. I'll make sure I bring my coffee. Hey, I'll fall asleep on you. <laughs> if you want, I, I just brought back some great coffee from Thailand. I'll try to remember to bring a bag of it for you. It's oh, a awesome. uh, French roast, a uh, light French roast. So it's a little little bit of oil, not too much. Oh, all right. Okay. All, all right. right. Thanks a lot. Care. All right, everybody. You too. Bye, Mark. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. And so that's another long-winded episode of Body IO FM. Um, Mark's already gotten off the call. I hope everybody found this educational in some way. Uh, the the sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen. They're not just about, you know, they have far-reaching consequences and they're not just about getting bigger in the gym or having great libido or so on and so forth. And it really is a hormone that has holistic effects and we shouldn't ignore that and we also shouldn't villainize it when we find out somebody's on hormone replacement therapy. Um, it might be too much, which, you know, as we know, could cause some reciprocal problems. Um, but, you know, Dr. Gordon's work, this is the second opportunity I've had to talk to him, and I'm just astounded with each conversation, uh, mostly because what astounds me most is I never have an opportunity to break in anywhere uh, because he, he's pretty much nonstop. I definitely, you know, it is a symphony. It's not a solo performance in terms of, you know, the hormonal milieu. So I think he really kind of uh, did a nice job of trying to explain that, so... Yeah, and luckily we will have uh, somebody on the Body IO team who is certified to handle those protocols, and that would be Dr. Rocky. Soon. Soon. <laughs> yeah. Soon. Yeah. Yeah. We got a couple months. So awesome. We'll keep you updated on that, on all of that. And uh, we'll actually probably get Rocky to write an article about that, that experience. Obviously, he won't be able to give out too much detail, but I'm sure he'll be able to bring back some enlightening gems. For sure. All right. It's another episode of Body IO FM. You've been listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.